Get the skinny on Cincinnati sports with Richard Skinner only on local12.com and the local 12 news app. Exclusive content, in-depth analysis, podcasts, and more. Cincinnati sports news 24-7. Get the skinny only on local12.com and the local 12 news app. Welcome in to the Agri Quarterbacks Podcast. I'm Richard Skinner from Local 12 and Local12.com. The real quarterback, Tony Pike, not with us this week. He's on assignment somewhere on a beach. He'll be back next week. And James Rapine from SI.com joins us via the telephone lines as we'll talk some college football, some NFL. Normally we talk some high school football, but a reminder that you can catch the, uh, the high school scoreboard and recap show with Tom Gable and myself from this past week. We talk with elder coach Doug Ramsey. We talk with Aaron Hancock, the head coach at Wyoming, and Covcast Eddie Eviston. We looked at some of the games from this past weekend and some of the top performances. You can catch that at ESP Media. And a reminder, this week our broadcast on WatchHSSports.tv will feature Finneytown at Wyoming, the game I'll be doing, Moeller at St. Xavier, and Middletown at Princeton. We'll talk some college football here in segment one. James Rapine does join me on the phone. James, let's start with UC's win over Austin P. Pretty matter-of-fact victory on a scale of 1 to 10, where do you give that, that UC performance on Saturday? <laughs> it's, it's tough, right, because of the opponent. Right. So, I, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, if you gave it a 10, I guess so, right, because they, they, they won and they handled business, but you, you expected them to. So um, it's it's one of those things where it was always going to be tough to to gauge a win like that against Austin P, but they did win, and that's the key in, in the handle. It was, what, 55-20? So they, they handled business, but it was, uh, you know, it was Austin P. What, what were they supposed to do, Richard? You yeah, know? So no, that was right. kind of my, my takeaway. Yeah, and they got a bunch of guys in. They played, you know, he played two quarterbacks, played a bunch of different people, and, and I think that was the, the good part of it. Now comes Army, and Army's an interesting team. They run that option offense. They're, they're number 22 in the country, and this is a year where sometimes – we're going to look at the rankings a little cross-eyed because we're missing a bunch of teams. But they are number 22 in the country coming in. I, I know when we talked about this game a couple of weeks ago, Tony made the point of how good defensive coordinator Marcus Freeman has been against the Navy option offense. And, and I get that, and that's probably all well and good. But I think the thing that's been impressive to me has been the, the, the Army defense. How big of a worry or scare is this game? Because we've talked in terms of this UC team potentially running the table and very quickly Game two in, you face a worthy opponent. I'm worried. I, I, you know, I, I think because it is a worthy opponent is, is a fair shake. Look, when you go from Austin B to now a team that, and for better or worse, is ranked, <laughs> a, a team that, that feels like they're going to compete right away. Um, and it, it, they were a late add, and I'm glad the Bearcats added them. I am too. But this is, you know, but this is no walk in the park, and it is a test. And there is a chance that you end up one and one. And so, yeah, like like Tony said a few weeks ago on the podcast, Marcus Freeman's defense should be up to the task. You know, they should be able to handle business. It's not going to be uh, easy. At the same time, there's there's a threat there. So I I'm a little nervous. I think you know, and I, and I think most Bearcats fans are because look, it's their first real test, real right. challenge, whatever you want to call it, where it isn't. Let's get as many guys in as we can. You know, let's get some experience. Let's get our feet wet. This this is a game that matters, and it's a game that they could certainly end up on the wrong side of. So they, uh, you, you just hope they're they're focused. And if and if anything, you know, Luke, we know Luke Fickle will have them focused. But uh, 
it's certainly going to be a challenge. Yeah, and Army already has two games under its belt. They beat Middle Tennessee 42 to nothing, beat Louisiana Monroe 37 to 7. So as I mentioned, that defense is the thing to me that stood out. They did have their game this past week again. It's BYU postponed uh due to due to COVID, but um you know, in theory, they they've they've been in game week mode now for three or four weeks, where UC's been in game week mode now for, for week number two. So there are, there are some certain concerns there. When we last did the podcast last Tuesday, we were talking about the Big Ten possibly returning. I think we were all certainly in agreement that they should return. It seemed imminent. They finally do make that decision. I, I, I know now that we look at this in the rearview mirror, James, we can point the finger and go, why did you punt in the first place? But I guess when all is said and done, for them to swallow hard, especially the presidents in the Big Ten, and make the decision to come back, I guess at least they did that, right? At least we can give them, hey, you screwed up at the first decision, but you made good in the end. That's how I feel about it. Now, how do they handle uh, the criticism? And I, I've seen some criticize them for essentially bringing football for money, uh, but you're seeing a bunch of conferences do it and do it safely, so why wouldn't you have football? And I kind of equate it to baseball in a way. Um, look, the NCAA as a whole should have probably tried to make this decision instead of individual conferences going in or going out. And, and the Big Ten appeared to make the wrong decision. But if you land on the right side of it like baseball did, well, then we're going to praise you because then baseball's back and it looks like they're going to be in the playoffs and stuff. So, look, if the Big Ten comes back, they're able to get in uh, not a full season but a, enough of a regular season to not cost Ohio State a chance at the college football playoff to crown a Big Ten champion, to, to do all of those things, then, yeah, it might have been bumpy getting there, but at least they got there, and, and they do deserve some praise for that. So hopefully that happens. My fingers are crossed that it happens, but, you know, who knows, right, what they're going to do and, and what's going to happen in college football, specifically the, the Big Ten over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, they, we're still not, not there to where they're going to play games. We're still, you know, three or four weeks yeah. away from that, uh, that that taking place. But one new league that will jump into the fray this weekend, the Southeastern Conference. Um, this is the weekend that they had targeted to start. They seem like all systems are go. Uh, Kentucky will play at Auburn at noon on, on Saturday in an SEC game. Florida at Ole Miss. You got uh, Alabama on Saturday night. Actually, Mississippi State and LSU. You've got um, also Alabama taking on Missouri on the road, Tennessee at South Carolina, and Vanderbilt taking on Texas A&M. James, James, I will ask you not to, to handicap the, the SEC, but I, you know when you start looking at where all these leagues are now basically playing conference, conference, some of them went to the conference schedule plus one, which is what the Big 12 did, which is what the ACC did. The SEC, though, is going to play 10 games against each other. To me, that's a gauntlet that, that I don't think you're going to get a team go through it unscathed and so in this year where we look at the head of the college football playoffs, how are they going to gauge all of this when you look and maybe it's a two-loss Alabama, but damn, it's a good two-loss Alabama. It's, they have another good two-loss Florida. How are we going to gauge this? That's a really good question, and I don't know if there's a perfect answer for it, and this is really going to test the committee because you know a, a two-loss Alabama team could be better than, and I hate to say this, but an undefeated UC team. Right. And that's, you know, that those are the type of challenges that, one, if you're the, the committee, you better be prepared for. And, two, you, you almost hope that, you know, the, the Army handles business, even though they're 14-point underdogs, you know, so you don't have, you're not faced with challenges. <laughs> right, you know, right. that big of a, a, a challenge, right, and, and, and they make it pretty clear-cut. But I, I think it's going to be. You know, I, I think they're going to be a two-loss two loss team. Uh, but, you know, but then what if it is Bama? A two-loss Alabama team. I would still probably take over 
95 to 98 percent of the the teams in the country. So when you, you're splitting hairs here, and, and you're going to have teams that have losses that that are qualified for the college football playoff, and you know, and have the credentials to potentially get in, who's going to have the the guts to vote in a two loss team? You know, and, and will they be able to do that, or, or will it be the the other way? And will you hold those two losses against them? And, and I I agree with you. I think that's the the one thing that the SEC did that. I don't. I don't know if it's wrong. I don't think it's necessarily wrong. You just look at the college football playoff. If you're that conference, the college football playoff committee, they look at that and they say, "All right, well, they're they're not dodging, right? They're they're not lining up a bunch of teams that they're just going to blow up. They're they're going against their conference opponents, opponents they know well, and they know that they're going to have some some wins and losses in there, uh, and, and it's going to be tough at times. And that's the thing is, I, I would rather have a battle tested team that has two losses that I, I think is ascending versus. You know, a team that's limping in, but but you know only has one loss or is undefeated, but hasn't played nearly the quality of competition of some of these other schools. Well, this this is and this this is why this is a season where things have changed, markers have changed, uh, parameters have changed, and I'd love to see the college football playoff in that regard change to where now that the Big Ten has opted back in, let's go to that eight team format. Let's let's give the Big Ten champ a berth. Let's give the SEC champ a berth. Let's give the ACC champ a berth. And let's give the Big 12 champ a berth, the four conferences that are playing. Let's give them each a berth so we don't have to worry about if it's a two-loss Alabama or if it's a, a two-loss Oklahoma, whatever, however you want to gauge it, you know, a one-loss Ohio State, whatever you want to gauge it. You're not gauging, you're not gauging Ohio State versus Alabama. They're going to get in because they're the, the champion of, of that particular conference. And then let's do four wild cards. Then we can let let the committee decide on those four teams. Where that then it is a a ten and zero UC versus a seven and three Florida, seven and three Georgia. However you want to look at it, I, I would really hope they revisit it. Maybe it's a pipe dream on my part, but it seems like if you want to be equitable in a year where you're not getting cross conference games being played, where literally everybody's just playing teams in their conference, and and the one game that they've played outside their conference has been a bye game for the the Big Twelve and the ACC. Um, you know, last week Clemson playing the Citadel. Um, so you're going to gauge them off of what they do inside the ACC. I think it's just an easy thing to go ACC champ, Big Ten champ, Big 12 champ, SEC champ, and four wild cards. I don't even know why anybody would think it would be that hard. And in a year where you need to make up lost revenue, what an easier way to do it than add one more layer of playoff. Sure. I, I agree 100%. And what a way to eliminate any controversy about right. a 15 the, you know, the 15 that's out there saying, well, I deserve to be, and, you know, we, we're undefeated, right? If UC goes undefeated, there are going to be a lot of Bearcats. Fans absolutely, and, and rightfully so, yeah. And, and, absolutely, and Luke Fickle will be there, and Desmond Red will be there. You know, all these guys will be wanting, you know, want the Bearcats in, and heck, I'll be right there. And that's a way to do it without getting the, in the way of Nick Saban in Alabama, who, at least as of now, you expect them to be right there. You expect Clemson, like you said, to be right there. And instead of those teams getting their spot taken, if they do have a loss, I don't think Clemson's going to lose. I don't either, you get, yeah. get my point. Yep, yep. It, it, it is, is instead of having a, a UC, and I keep using them because most of our listeners will be able to relate to it, get in the way. Now they don't get in the way. They get their shot, at, you know, and the big dogs are there as well. And then you, you get to see how you stack up. And, and so it's really a way, if anything, to protect the committee, you know, protect, right. you know, who's yes. going to select these four yes. teams and, and make sure that they don't get it wrong. Because the last thing you want, we're not going to remember if you put too many in, but we're going to remember if you leave out Alabama and they look like the best team in the country, or if you leave out an undefeated team that should have gotten a shot, and then they roll in the bowl game that they play in. So that's a, uh, 
it, that's certainly something worth discussing. And, and I, I, I think it simplifies things. I think it makes a lot of sense. But, you know, uh, college football, you know, <laughs> NCAA, they don't always go the simple way, the simple route. And that's a fact for sure. All right, we'll take a timeout. When we come back, we're going to talk some Bengals and NFL, a rash of injuries across the league hitting all of a sudden. And uh, how do we fix the Bengals after the 0-2 start, or do they need fixing? We'll talk about that more as we continue. It's the Angry Quarterbacks. I'm Richard Skinner. He's James Rapine. Tony Pike is on assignment, and you're listening to ESP Media, powered by Sidearm Sports. Getting answers, finding solutions. Local 12 News investigates. As soon as we called you, everything happened very quickly. Not afraid to ask the tough questions. Taking action, getting the truth. Local 12 News investigates. Ted's Pawn Shop, home of the Tri-State's largest full-line pawn shop. At Ted's Pond, 2026 Delaware Avenue in Norwood, Ohio, we offer collateral loans on almost anything of value. We also have one of the area's largest selections of pre-owned merchandise to choose from at bargain prices. Diamonds, jewelry, coins, firearms, musical instruments, and tools. Reach us today at 513-631-2112. Welcome back into the Angry Quarterbacks. It's Season 5, Episode 4. I'm Richard Skinner from Local 12 and Local12.com. We broadcast live from the Carlos Dunlap is a Ghost Studios this week. We change the name each and every week. James Rapine from SI.com joins us on the phones. And Tony Pike is on assignment this week. A reminder, uh, no high school segment this week. But if you do want to catch up on some high school football conversation, head to our uh, Greater Cincinnati Scoreboard and Recap Show. Tom Gamble and I did this past Saturday. It's about an hour-long podcast. We talked with some area coaches, Doug Ramsey from Elder. Aaron Hancock from Wyoming and Eddie Eviston from uh, Covington Catholic. And we looked at some of the top performances from the weekend. We do that each and every Saturday. It's the Greater Cincinnati Scoreboard and Recap Show. James Rapine, let's talk some Bengals. Um, for, first and foremost, we, we, you were, we were on the Zoom call with Carl Lawson yesterday, and, and the inevitable question came up about what's wrong with the pass rush. I thought Carl had a great explanation, to be honest with you, where he talked about we need to stop the run first and, and put teams in more drop-pack situations. And I think that's fair. But I also have seen in those dropback situations very little pass rush. And, and one guy I have to point to is is Carlos Dunlap. Where has he been these first two weeks, James? I'll let you know when I find him. <laughs> I mean, it, it's ridiculous. Look, Carlos Dunlap is a guy that I thought was going to have a big year. I mean, I remember him in that first scrimmage during training camp. He was awesome. And I was like, man, he, he looks great. And uh, just just as you brought that up, I just and I know Pro Football Focus is one metric, but I looked up his Pro Football Focus grade, and he's got a whopping forty two point seven overall. Ooh. What am I? Am I looking at Bobby Hart or Carlos Dunlap right now? I mean, it's just ridiculous. So uh, I don't know what's going on. I don't know if it's the knee that was bothering him, and he did miss some practice with it. But I don't want to make excuses because look, he's out there, right? And I, I thought this pass rush, and I know Gino isn't there. But this pass rush, with a guy like Dunlap on one side, Lawson, I will be an underwhelming show in my eyes, Sam Hubbard, and they're not getting pressure at all. I mean, you're talking about Tyrod Taylor and Baker Mayfield. And I know the Browns reworked their offensive line, but the Chargers had a bunch of backups in. Yes. And the Browns did have a rookie, like, you know, you know, starting on that left side. Dude, Jack, Conklin, so, Jack Conklin didn't play. Yeah, and their starting right tackle didn't play. That's a really good point. I remember talking to a couple people because I went to the game in Cleveland, and when Conklin was uh, active but not clearly not playing, they were like, ooh, this is going to be tough, and it wasn't. I mean, I, I didn't notice the Bengals' pass rush once. I think Baker Mayfield was three, three times total, and you're talking about a quarterback 
that saw Ghost in the pocket last year, that entered the game with a ton of pressure, and then you made life easy on him. And you were able to, you know, you let him get outside the pocket and get some easy throws and build some momentum in that first quarter, and they couldn't stop it. Uh, so I don't know where it is, but they have to figure it out, and they better figure it out ahead of Sunday because you have another quarterback who's facing a lot of pressure in a city that has <laughs> is going to rip him to shreds over the next five days. And you know what you want to do? You want to hit him a lot and you know, keep applying that pressure because if you can do that, then I, I think he's going to gift you a ball or two. And, uh, you know, if you make life easy on him, then he's going to get to a rhythm and do exactly what Baker did last Thursday night. Yeah, it's a city where their, their own um, their own people inside the stadium that are doing the sound effects uh, actually put the boo soundtrack on for Carson Wentz in, the, in their own stadium. So that's how bad, <laughs> bad things went. And, and, you know, when we talk about defensive lines, the metric that's used always is, is sacks. But it's not always that. It's, it's kind of what we talked about. It's putting pressure or hitting the quarterback. It's one thing if you're not getting sacks. I'm, I'm okay with that if you look at the other numbers of pressures or hits. And that's not there either. No, it's not. I mean, I, I, I was surprised that there were three pressures on Baker. And one that I think counted as a pressure uh, was Carl Lawson whipping on the first drive. Yep, where he went when he, he, running on the far side for a first down. Yep. Where he went, he got caught up field on it. Yes, you're right. The tackle pushed him behind yeah. the play. Yeah, and, and so like that, that's that's not a good pressure. That's a bad pressure. Right. Like, you want to qualify it as anything, and you know that there was some pressure on the interception that Baker stepped through and threw a bad ball that William Jackson picked off. But man, it, it's just weird to me. It, it, I don't think Carlos Dunlap's done. I don't think Carl Lawson's done. By the way, is it weird? I'm going to ask you this, and I like Carl Lawson. I think he's a good dude. This dude has more confidence than anyone for someone that doesn't have a bunch of sacks. No question. It, it, it's interesting to me. Um, you know, he, he had that great rookie He carries year. himself like a pro bowler. Yes, he does. You know? Yes, he does very much. Um, you know, he made a point to me a couple times last year about sacks, and he said, man, I'm, and, he, and if you look at his numbers, I think he did record more quarterback hits than anybody on the team last year. He didn't lead the team in sacks by any stretch, but I do believe he had the most quarterback hits. So he always points that out, which is fine. But, yeah, he does carry himself like he's a double-digit sack guy on a consistent basis, and that's that's not the case. I, I will ask you a couple things in regards to our conversation with Carl Lawson yesterday, and you asked him this question, and it was a, certainly a great one because um, on the tip of my tongue as well. I mean, is it as simple as getting Geno Atkins and Mike Daniels back? More so Geno than Mike. Mike's more of a rotational guy. But is it as simple as getting Geno Atkins back? I, I don't know that it is, and, and Carl's answer was great where he said, doesn't hurt, and he's right. It, it doesn't hurt, but I don't know if that's the be-all, end-all. Is it? Is it? Is it that simple in your opinion? I don't think it can be because if you're banking on 32-year-old Geno Atkins, who's missed you know two games most of you know the past month now. God, I can't believe it's been that long, but most of the past month with a shoulder, and you're expecting him to save you in week three. Well, that's like expecting 32-year-old A.J. Green to bail you out and save you on Thursday night football in his second game in two years, right? It's just yeah. it's really hard to ask him to do that. And, and that's the problem here is the, the Bengals are banking on some of these guys that are that are getting a little older. And they shouldn't – it shouldn't be make or break, with a, you know, whether Geno Atkins is in or out. He is a great player. There's no doubt about it, but there's injuries across the league. And the teams that are, you know, decent – find a way around that and the Bengals haven't and they got shredded on the ground and they are going to get their opportunity to get shredded again this Sunday because it's exactly what the Eagles are going to try to do you think they want Carson Wentz throwing at 50 times no hell no they want they want Miles Sanders Boston Scott they want to run those guys 
and you know play action to the tight ends, and that would be pretty much it. They want to kind of babysit him the same way uh, the Browns did with Baker. You know, you look at the Baker's final line, and it's like, oh, he only threw the ball 22 times or 21 times or whatever it was. So I, I think that that's the, the key, and Atkins certainly helps that, but it can't just be that. These linebackers better step up, and speaking of that, maybe Sean Williams coming back, he can play that hybrid linebacker right. role. Or Von Bell can play that hybrid role, and Sean plays deeper. You're right, and at least help out against the sure. run for sure. No, no doubt about it. Um, back, back to Carl Lawson and kind of with the run defense, and he made the point that, that – they need to stop the run better to get teams in, in more drop-back situations. And there is probably a, a grain of truth to that. And he did point to last year. And in fairness, last year, the Bengals allowed four of the first seven opponents to rush for 200 yards. They had just nine sacks in the first eight games. Then down the stretch over the last nine games, held teams to 117 yards per game on the ground and had 22 sacks over the last eight games of the year. So there is a correlation there. But it does start with stopping the run. And here we are thinking the run defense was going to get fixed with D.J. Reader alongside Geno Atkins, with some new blood at linebacker, with the addition of Vaughn Bell, and yet they've been gashed for the first two games. So here's the million-dollar question that I'm not expecting you to have an answer for, but I'm going to ask you the question. How does this run defense get fixed, and does it get fixed? <laughs> I, I hope part of it is the, the, you know, the Geno part. I hope part of it is getting Sean Williams back, and I'm going to put Vaughn Bell in the box more, and you know, maybe have Williams up there, too, to, to really help against the run, but I, I, if it's not going to be that, then I don't know how it gets fixed, because you can't tell me the reason it's not working, because Trey Wayne's been out there, because he's a good tackling corner. <laughs> no, right, exactly, and, and, right. Then that would be the only other piece that's missing to this pod. And I, I just, I'm, I'm really in the DJ Reader side of things, where it, it doesn't matter who's out there, you've got to have the one-two, yep. and they just got bullied. They got bullied. They got bullied on that final drive by Cleveland. What the, the six play? I think it was six plays, six runs. Yep, six runs, six runs, seventy-five yards. yards. Just ridiculous. And I get it. Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb are great, but you knew that going into that drive. And I know you're tired, like all those things. But you can't. You, you can't slow them down a little. You can't force a third down. You can't make Baker at least think about having to throw with the game on the line. Yeah, right. Because, man, if you, if you could have got them to a third and five, just a third and five, then then you got a shot. And the last thing the Browns wanted to do is give the ball back to Joe Burrow because he was going to go down and score again. And they didn't even try. I mean, it, it, it was awful. I mean, they should have just let him score in the first play because <laughs> it, it was, just, you know, ridiculous. Give you and, more time. Uh, yeah, and, and I, honestly, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how you fix it. If, if it's not going to be personnel-wise, then I don't know what else it is other than attitude. And hopefully what Reader said, and, and you know that, that rings true for Sam Hubbard and Carl Lawson and some of those other guys, because they need to come together. I, and that's the crazy part, Richard. I think there's talent here. You know, I, I look at that defensive line, and coming into the year, I thought it was, and everyone talked about the receivers, I thought the defensive line was the most talented group on the team. Agreed. I really did. Not, no, I'm with not you. Decent, Agree. But, but high-end talent. And so if Atkins comes back and Reader's there next to him, and you got Daniels off the bench and Dunlap on one side and Lawson on the other and Hubbard. Yeah, I want to see what that looks you're like. you're still not getting it done. Yeah, but, but, but if you're still not getting it done then, and I don't care if your linebackers aren't that good. There are a lot of teams with bad linebackers that can still stop the run. 
You know, because you got good safety play, and, and you know, you, you got a good defensive line, so you're winning there, and the linebackers can just run and tackle. I think those guys can do that. I think they they, they got blocked a lot, you know, and, and Jermaine Pratt got tired of getting hit hit by Andy Janovich, you know, and right. stuff like that against the Browns. So we'll see, but but hopefully that fixes it because that should one bolster talent. You're not relying on guys like Christian Covington to play out of their role and play more snaps than you need them to. And uh, and then two, hopefully their their attitude changes after getting really punched in the mouth uh, all night on Thursday. On Friday, we got a chance to talk with. Uh, you know, I thought it was an interesting choice of people. We got a chance to talk to. We talked to to Josh Bynes. We talked to uh, to Von Bell, and we talked to uh, was another. Um, I, I, I guess in DJ Reader from Thursday night because we talked to him after the game. But three guys they signed as free agents. Three guys that played on perennial playoff teams uh, the last few years. Bynes comes from Baltimore last year where they did nothing but win until they got deep in the playoffs. Von Bell was on three playoff teams in, in New Orleans in his four years. DJ Reader was on three playoff teams in Houston in his four years there. And I thought they all said the right things about... Because let's face it, losing can be contagious, right? I mean, this team is 3-23 and in their last 26 Two and sixteen under Zach Taylor, zero and ten under Zach Taylor in one score games, and some of those are are meaningless nuggets because sometimes one score games can be deceiving. You backdoor your way into a one score game. Some of them are heartbreaking one score games. There's there's different ways to do it, but by whatever metric you want to use, three and twenty three in the last twenty six is horrid. Two and sixteen under Zach Taylor is horrid, and and there is a, a contagious element to losing, and yet you have these three veterans who have been on winners. They all seem to say the right things on Friday about mindset and, and continuing to work. And Josh Pine said, I'll be damned if I'm going to stand for, for the way it is. But it's also guys I can point to and go, go make a play. I mean, you know, you're talking, you're talking a good game. So to me, though, is it, is it good to hear what those guys, I mean, I wrote a story on it, but is it good to hear what those guys had to say? Can those guys be an influencer to take the losing element contagiousness out of it, in your opinion? Or is it just nothing but mindless chatter? Well, they can, depending on how they respond to it, right? And, and that we're only going to see that Sunday. Like, it, it's one to be pissed off and upset at a loss in the moment. Like, if I lose you in ping pong, Richard, I promise you I'm going to be annoyed, and I suck at ping pong, but I want to <laughs> beat you, right? But 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 I, I'm not going to be annoyed enough to practice ping pong five days later. Right. And, 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 no, right. and stay up late and study ping pong and study your habits. <laughs> But, you know, that's how the Bengals need to be. They need to be that annoyed and that frustrated. So will they be able to take that hurt that they felt on Thursday? And will they feel that on Saturday? Did they feel that on Sunday? Did they watch the Eagles with that? Did, you know, did when they're breaking down film Wednesday, did they see that when the coaches are installing the game plan? You know, can they take that with them? I think that's the real difference. And uh, it feels like, you know, Joe Burrow, is going to, and the reason I say that is, he's like, man, I've never lost two games in a row. Yeah, T. Higgins said that. Yeah, T. Higgins said that yesterday T- too. T. Yeah. T. Higgins said the same thing. Like the last time I, yeah, the last time I saw that I lost two games in a row, I was a senior playing basketball. So I think it sticks with those guys because they're not used to it. And, and maybe a guy like Bynes, who's used to winning for the most part in Baltimore, uh, outside of a stop in Arizona, you know, it sticks with him. Bell, you, you just you hope that 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 hurt doesn't just last for forty eight hours. Right, because fans usually can move on after about 24 or so, and just because you know that's just natural. You've got to move on and do the next thing in your life. If you're a player and you want to get something like this turned around, you hope that you can use that and really fuel you. Because I think that they were, 
I don't think they're as talented as, as the, the the Browns, specifically with the guys they had out. But there's no doubt in my mind they should at least be one at one. That they should have won one of those games. Yes. Yeah. Like when they step on the field against Philadelphia, uh, you know, especially if they get Geno back, and I'm assuming they're going to get Sean Williams back. I don't think they're going to be at like this huge talent disadvantage. Uh, you know, I think there's some weak spots that you know the Eagles are going to take advantage of for sure. But from a talent standpoint, I think it's there. And the, the other thing. And I was asked about this today, Richard, is culture. He's like, yeah. It's, someone told me, he's like, I really like the culture Zach's building. And I was like, well, that sounds good. It does sound good. Like, like they're the doing culture 16. Zach, exactly. And that's the thing. is like, what Zach's doing sounds good. And the free agents all said, yeah, the culture he's trying to build. And, well, yeah, well, part of that is because the Bengals offered you more money, DJ, or, or Vaughn, or Trey. You know, you know that, that's part of it, too, in free agency. But but I, I, do, I do think that what Zach's, Building sounds good, but when you're 0 and 10 in one score games, when you're clearly, uh, you know, over, it, it, it just seemed weird and, and, and overwhelmed at times. The fact that they threw 61 times, they haven't been able to use Joe Mix. There's just a lot of things. I know you asked me about the defense. No, no, you're, 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 but, 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 but I, I just don't know if the culture as a whole, I don't know whether to trust it or not. And, and, and I know that's, you know, I, I think that's fair. I don't. I, think I don't no, I think no, no. I, I'm, I'm, I just don't think we have an answer. No, I'm. I'm glad you went there because that kind of tied in. I wasn't asking defense specific about you know what those guys said because I think it was the overriding culture, and we keep hearing that, and it, and it does. It sounds great, and and part of me does believe that players are buying into what Zach Taylor's selling, but I got to see results too. I got to eventually see the results be in the win column, right? I mean that that that's how the culture changes. It, it, you honestly, you can have a bad culture if guys are winning. That's all they know about. You can have a great culture and 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 lose and and losing still sucks. So, yeah, I, I think it is. To me, it's it sounds good, but turn that into victories, will you? Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's exactly right. And I I don't know if he's that guy. And I was thinking about this today. What's the? I know we don't want to put a a number a, a win number right. on it, but what's the minimum? Because you can't be three and thirteen. No. Exactly. I don't. I don't think you can be four and twelve. I think five and eleven is probably, probably my minimum. Because <laughs> I was. I was just trying to think of, you know, how many more times he can lose. I mean, so you know, five and eleven. I mean, that's. Let's do the math. What seven and seven and twenty six? Yeah, yeah. Twenty seven. Seven. Seven twenty five. Seven twenty five. Yeah. Twenty five. Mm. It's a lot of losses. Yep. I and mean, I'm off that math, but seven and twenty five after two years. So we'll, we'll see. I just. At some point, it's going to be hard to sell something when you're losing this much, especially if it's one one possession games. And I think Sunday's going to be a one possession game, six and a half. And, and I might be jumping ahead. I like the Bengals, right? I'll, I'll take those points, but I, I just I don't know. I, I don't know if he can get it done. And, and you hope that with the the uh, injuries and some of these guys getting healthy, that they can play at just a, a better level on both sides. The Bengals are going to be one of the great cover teams this year. They've covered twice already. They covered the first two games, but yet on the other side of it, where it counts for the most, they're zero and two. And you're right; it feels like they, they'll cut. I like that number as well, but I don't have confidence they go win the game. So they could be three and zero against the spread after this game, and zero and three where it matters the most. One, one other thing I want to touch on before we do, do give a, a, a prediction of that game. Um, obviously, the offensive line's consistently a lightning rod until they completely get it fixed. And so I'm not going to ask you about offseason at this stage of the game and what they should have done or what they should do in this next offseason. But here's my question for you right now. What can they do in the present to fix that offensive line, if anything? 
Well, they need to get the running game going, and I, I think that's that's part of it. Look, you you can't magically erase what you have and in, in what players you have, and so that that would be the first thing. You know, Bobby Hart. They're not cutting Bobby Hart because what they have behind him isn't as good. Whether you like it or not, it's just it isn't. At least they view it that way. But if you can get the running game going on first down, so where it's not second and second and ten or second and eight, well, and, then, uh, and, then, you know, and then turns you're into third and eight, four and five yards, right? Yeah, it, it, well, you're right. It, it, well, because it, it's second and ten, it's an incomplete second and ten. Then they run it, and then it's second and eight or third and eight, and then you know here we go, Joey Bosa's coming. <laughs> right here right. we go, Miles Garrett's coming, and, and that's just that's a tough ask every you know every you know four set of four downs. So. I, th- I think that's one key. Uh, quick hitters, quick passes, and I think it's some of that, but not like I like. Like to me, I watch the Saints, right? And people are crapping all over the Saints, you know, as we record this. But Alvin Kamara gets two to three balls a game where he's just wide open, right? And and, and not that it has to be Mixon, but fine. what if it's Giovanni Bernard? What if it's John Ross, what if it's, you know, any odd and Tate? I don't give a damn who it is. But, but James, one of these guys open in space. Yeah, James, we saw in the first half, though, them use Joe Mixon in that regard a little bit, and then it felt like yeah. it was it went away. Yeah, and, and I love the, the the best play, one of the plays that I, I love the most, and obviously it's 61 times, so there's a lot to remember. It was the 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 option play, where Mixon had the option to go out. Or yes, in, yes. And, and, and he read the back or whoever was covering, I think it was a bad linebacker, and cut inside, it was wide open, and Burrow hit him, and boom, Mixon was off. Yes, no, and that's that, the type of stuff, man. That's what Breeze does with Kamara. Kamara runs all those option yep. routes, and they trust each other, they have a great rapport, and boom, they get him in those those space situations you're talking about. And, and I, I, yeah, I agree. I, I mean, four receptions, 40 yards in the first half, doesn't even get targeted in the second half. You, you run him to the outside after that, the touchdown was called back on Geo where he was ruled down. I thought that was a touchdown, but you know, it was ruled down. I I don't know. I, I would have liked the quarterback sneak. Uh myself. yeah, you think you think? <laughs> Joe Burrow's six so, Joe Burrow's six feet four and pretty strong and he's shown he's pretty durable. I think he can burrow his way for a yard, no pun intended. Exactly. I know I, I agree. I, I would use the quarterback sneak a lot. And yet it doesn't it doesn't feel like that's the case. But uh, yeah, I, I think that the really improved this offensive line, you're going to have to make life easier on your quarterback and easier on the line. I mean, right. If you drop that 75, it's going to be really hard uh, to, to protect him all the time. And even though he's athletic, even though he's willing to take the hits, that's part of it. And, and then the other part, like I said, can you get some guys in space? Can I mean, A.J. Green, and I get it, you know, there's a lot of people are down on him right now. He hasn't been in space once. They haven't found a way to, to you know, even if it's a screen where the, the corner playing seven yards off of him, give him that ball and let him get five yards and maybe make a stiff arm and make a guy miss. You know, like, I, I'm okay with stuff like that because those are basically runs. And, you know, if you're doing that on first down, you're doing that on second down, you get five or six yards, that can just make life easier on everybody. I'm lying because they have to block for literally .2 seconds for Joe Burrow because it's an easy throw, and it gets these guys in rhythm. So, I just hope to see more of that. At the same time, as I say that, I also want to see more downfield stuff. So it's a, it's a delicate balance. Yeah, and, and that, that's the other thing. Joe Burrow ranks last among quarterbacks in the NFL in yards per pass attempt, as long as completions, 23 yards. Some of it has been on Joe not being accurate on deep balls, and, and if there's been the knock, that's probably the one thing you can look at in the first two games. The one thing I'm going to say to that regard 
I think we're going to look up by games six, seven, and eight, and Joe's going to start hitting those. And I and I don't want to use it as an excuse, but I do think that's where we see no preseason really factor in for them in the passing game, that they just don't have the downfield timing yet. And I think it's something that will eventually come because I think he's too good of a quarterback for it not to come. I, to- I totally agree. And I, I think that, that not having preseason games is impacted A.J. Green, too. Yes, agreed. No doubt. And not having those reps. Like, people were, and again, maybe it's a small minority, but there were people out there saying, Man, Auden Tate should be getting A.J. Green's reps. And I'm like, you guys are out of your damn mind. <laughs> like, that is ridiculous. Look, I, I get it. He, he didn't look great the other night. Um, he should also have three touchdowns right now. He got interfered with right. in the end zone against Cleveland. You know, Burrow missed him on that deep ball in the third quarter against the Chargers. And then he had the game-winning touchdown called back That's right. uh, against Los Angeles as well. So, I mean, he could very easily have three touchdowns right now, and now we're not talking about it. So, I agree. I, I think by... If we're still having this conversation at the after midway week point. four, yes, yes, heck, after week four, I'm not even. I, I think it'll be cleaner this week, and I think it'll be even cleaner. I do too. The following week against Jacksonville, I really do. No, I, I completely agree, and I think again, I don't want to make an excuse for him, but I think you are seeing what what no preseason meant. No matter how much they talk about getting reps on the side and getting reps in their routes and getting reps in practice, nothing simulates a game. Nothing. You can try your best. Nothing simulates game speed. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm fully expecting that to, to get better for sure. All right, James, prediction time for this week. Bengals and Eagles, you mentioned the line is just under a touchdown, six and a half points. Eagles are a mess. Their offensive line's a train wreck. Their defense got, got uh, absolutely destroyed. They were up 17-0 the week before against a bad Washington team, only to watch Washington score 27 straight points. You talk about a perfect time to sweep into a city and get yourself your first win. This seems to be the perfect time. Will it be? No. It won't. It's a, Zach Taylor falls to 0-11 in one-score game. It will fall to the Eagles. This time it will be on a last-second field goal on a, t- uh, on a drive orchestrated by Carson Wentz. Field goal kicked by Sir Jake Elliott. Yep. Eagles win 23-20. I, I was, I, you're close. I'm going to go Eagles 26-24 on a Jake Elliott 58-yarder just to piss Bengals fans off. Oh, my God. <laughs> There we go, James. All right, great. People will be so mad. I can see it. Yes, indeed. I appreciate it. We'll uh, we'll all be back in studio next Tuesday. Again, Tony Pike on assignment this week. For James Rapine, I'm Richard Skinner. Thanks for being with us. This has been the Angry Quarterbacks Podcast from ESP Media, powered by Sidearm Sports. We'll rise and take this town. You can put a black chip in the place of your mouth. Cause if you think the Midwest ain't as hard as the South is, boys find girls and then stay with them. And little kids dance to a collective rhythm. If you don't love it, I don't know what you think. And thank Jesus, I'm Cincinnati Pimp. C I N C I N N A T I P I M P I N. Man, I'm Cincinnati Pimp. C I N C I N N A T I P I N.